A quick note to our listeners. The webinar discussed in the podcast took place on Tuesday, December 17th, 2019. The archived recording of the webinar will be available before December 20th at pla.org. Everyone who reads, writes, performs, or sells creative works is harmed when libraries are unable to purchase and deliver content for all our communities. Limiting access to new titles for libraries really does mean limiting access for patrons who are most dependent on libraries. Thank you for joining us for FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes with the Public Library Association. Today on the show, we will have a slightly different format. Here to discuss the ALA eBooks for All campaign and detail how you can get involved are Lara Clark, Deputy Director for ALA's Office for Public Policy and Advocacy and the Public Library Association, and Emily Wagner, Deputy Director of Advocacy Communications in the ALA's Public Policy and Advocacy Office. Tell me a little bit about the eBooks for All campaign and why and how it got started. ALA, of course, has been monitoring the eBook e-content outlook for more than a decade. And we've been paying heightened attention uh, since July 2018 when Macmillan instituted a test embargo for its Tor imprint. But the eBooks for All campaign really started to come together uh, last December when we uh, key leaders at ALA held separate meetings with the publishers up in New York, Macmillan, Hachette, Sacred Random House, Simon & Schuster, Harper Collins, all of them. And the conversations, while encouraging, eliminated challenges that were on the horizon for 2019. So we really started paying attention about a year ago um, very closely for things that were starting to shift. This past summer, uh, in late June, two of the largest trade publishers, Sachet and Simon and & Schuster, made significant changes in their terms for libraries, which really started to activate library workers in particular. Uh, at ALA's annual conference, we started to see that conversation coming together. Um, we were paying very close attention to the council's discussion and their resolution to form another working group on digital content. That's when we started to plan our public outreach campaign and really start to think about what we would name it and what we would do to continue this activation throughout the association. That phase of acting, activating library workers and library leaders started before July 25th, but July 25th, of course, is when Macmillan Publishers announced their new library ebook lending model under which a library may purchase one copy upon release of a new title, and then they impose an eight-week embargo on additional copies. So July 25th, I would say, was truly the, the moment where we went out of the phase of heightened attention and heightened discussion within the association to a campaign that was very public. ALA released an immediate statement and put up a landing page for library workers and encouraged folks from July 25th through the end of the summer to reach out to the CEO of Macmillan directly. We wanted John Sargent to hear from people personally, from library workers who could authentically articulate the issue through their eyes, namely that access to digital content is more than a financial issue. It's an equity issue. I think it probably came onto people's radar in a big way with the launch of the online petition. Can you talk a little bit about that? Between July 25th and September 11th, we know that over 300 individual letters were sent to John Sargent and that nearly 100 people every day were sharing the message on Twitter. So we were seeing a lot of really, you know, high engagement around that common message on on social and through personal correspondence. 
But we really wanted to take the opportunity to push the campaign into the media spotlight. And we saw the Digital Book World Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, as our opportunity. We thought as a hook to be in the news and also an opportunity to be in the same place as John Sargent and other publishers, really, to be able to contextualize the campaign at the same table. So we worked with the amazing staff at Nashville Public Library to host a press conference it was live streamed to all ALA advocates, and that's where we launched the petition itself. So ebooksforall.org was born, and we asked not only library workers, but truly all readers to join us in urging McMillan to reverse the unfair embargo. The press conference was a big success. We had NPR, the Associated Press, and several other major news organizations like Slate who covered us, and it put a lot of wind in our sails. From September 11th on, we haven't seen a day when there were less than a hundred, or excuse me, a thousand people who signed on to the petition, which is now just over 220,000 signatures. We really couldn't have reached that many signatures without the help of library systems and library leaders across the country. Libraries have been sharing the campaign with their patrons and encouraging them to sign on as well. So that really did crack open the campaign from being just something that was huge for ALA advocates and ALA members to something that the average consumer, the person who's really taking these books home with them, could start to understand, engage on, and, and make sure that their voice became part of the critical message to Macmillan overall. What are some of the stories or some of the ways that libraries are engaging? In larger systems, like the Mid-Continent Public Library in Missouri, as an example, or King County Library System in Washington State, we've seen library leaders work with their local cable news stations to tell their story on TV or in their uh, local media and news journals. On ebooksforall.org, you can see the variety of news stories and op-eds that library leaders have put out there. Other systems like Columbus Public Library or the New Orleans Public Library did an awesome job of actually sending the message out to their entire patron list, explaining the change both ahead of November 1st when the embargo took effect and then afterwards. So those examples were really incredible because they served as a model for other libraries to use as they started to communicate the changes to their own patrons. Smaller systems have been doing equally powerful work online, sharing the message on social media. You know, every single platform we've seen something really creative. One of the best days of the campaign was Halloween. As an example, a library worker at Baltimore County Public Library dressed up as the embargo. It was kind of a conceptual costume that showed someone all in black and that they were number 1,057 in line for their ebook. So many years down the road for them to actually be able to check that out. I think a lot of the success we've seen is just in the variety of how the story and the concept has been articulated. We've had folks tell it from, you know, just the facts all the way to really funny and humorous ways to explain what that embargo means. And that, I think, has been key in changing this from something that's understood by folks who are, you know, responsible for buying ebooks to someone who's an ebook fan who's checking out ebooks because that's how they're consuming literature or someone who's relying on ebooks because, you know, perhaps they're homebound or perhaps they need that large print or they physically perhaps can't hold a, a print book. We've seen every variety of the story being told and, and getting that in such personal ways has helped to really lay down a foundation of understanding, which has been really key to the campaign. 
You know, it occurs to me that it might be helpful to recap a little bit about these key messages, because I can imagine there are those that kind of play out across all of the libraries of all sizes and geographies. And it might be helpful just to step back for a second and talk a little bit about some of the key themes or messages that are part of this work. In general, the common theme for us is that everyone who reads writes, performs, or sells creative works is harmed when libraries are unable to purchase and deliver content for all our communities. Publishers don't feel the heat libraries do, so it's more of a customer service challenge when a patron doesn't understand that, that digital access purchasing issue. They see that as the library failing in their mission, which is just such a, a hard problem for libraries to try to solve. So we know that lots of libraries are engaged on the issue because they want to make sure that they're getting out in front of the messaging and also so that consumers understand the experience that they're having in the digital market. I think the other thing that we've seen is that limiting access to new titles for local libraries is a direct correspondence to limiting access for patrons. Systems who are you know, really articulating the nut of the whole argument is around access. Limiting access to new titles for libraries really does mean limiting access for patrons who are most dependent on libraries. Last but not least, the other issue really is about the embargo not being a great place to start the negotiation. So while some libraries are able to buy extra copies or to think around the way that they distribute, other libraries are the single source for their communities, and having one book, for example, in a consortium is much different than having one book in a community where they're serving a smaller population. So this one-size-fits-all has been a constant part of the conversation that libraries can't really abide by a policy that doesn't account for how, how different the service models are from city to city, community to community. And I think I want to come back to the point about the library contributing to the ecosystem. So you had said that for creators of all types, that libraries are a key part of their distribution. So many folks online, readers, folks who are lifelong library users, librarians themselves have talked about that, that magic moment of discovery when they check their ebook out from the library, they read half of it, the ebook, perhaps they forget to renew, or they realize that they're totally in love with the book, and then they go out and buy it themselves. Libraries are critical to discovery. This idea of making that discovery possible, and that really li uh, underscoring the critical role that libraries are playing in the ecosystem of makers and writers and creators that you can't have a culture of readers if you don't have libraries to help perpetuate that market. Let's talk a little bit about the resources that are available to libraries if they haven't already engaged in the campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about what's on the eBooks for All website? The key to success on this campaign has really been the idea that we're um, putting resources out there for libraries to use, to remix, to bolster their own efforts to make sure that the conversation is, is happening. So we've really made ebooksforall.org as our campaign hub. Anyone who's interested in joining the campaign or learning more about the campaign can use our tools and shareables that are up there. Uh, we have all sorts of things, social graphics, sample letters to the editor, videos, a prepared uh, frequently asked questions to find out how to respond to questions around the issue behind ebooks and embargoes. For members of the media, we have a lending press kit, so you can go out and actually download the resources that you need. 
And we've been carefully watching the other resources that other people are creating as part of the campaign and making sure that we're adding those to our arsenal. Um, eBooks for All has really become a resource that's always growing and changing. So when we see an amazing op-ed or we see a really great video interview, we're putting that on the page itself so folks can get on there, make sure that they see the example, and then recreate it in their own words at home. Um, and we've also started to expand the resources that are available uh, into Spanish. Communities that are serving highly bilingual populations can educate outside of just the English language. We welcome any feedback that folks have about the campaign tools that we have on there. The more feedback that we get, the better we can be about the things that we're creating and making available. Like any campaign that's really driven by communications and social media and making sure that there's an ongoing dialogue, it, the feedback is, is critical to making sure that we're providing enough fuel for the fire and fuel for the conversation for folks online. How are people connecting with you? The hashtag is an amazing place for everyone to, um, to put that feedback out there. The conversation is happening every day. I think that when we first launched the campaign, we had about 100 people a day sharing a message on um, hashtag ebooks for all on Twitter. We've jumped from about 4,000 individuals to nearly 24,000 individuals since July 25th. So the conversation has really picked up over the course of the last several months. Anything you have to share that you want to put into the public space using the hashtag ebooks for all is a really great way to connect with us. You can also email us directly. Our contact information is on ebooksforall.org or you can reach out directly. I'm ewagner at alawash.org. Happy to hear from you anytime. Anybody who has suggestions on, you know, video that needs to be created, other social materials, we'd be really happy to get that feedback. You've shared some metrics. How are you measuring the effect of this campaign? We've been working to harness every opportunity we can to share and discuss the experiences of library workers and library users in the digital market. It's it's really critical that those experiences are the things that are highlighted. And to measure that, to measure, you know, how well we're underscoring and shining a spotlight on those experiences, of course, we're doing a lot of listening. We talked a little bit about how we've seen engagements on social jump greatly over the course of the last several weeks. And we're taking each of those pieces, the organic growth on social, the earned media, and the overall engagement of libraries across the country, as signs that this critical conversation is taking place. When it really comes down to it, it's, it's all about listening and making sure that we're responding and continuing to make sure that that conversation is, is blossoming. The communications portion of the campaign is only one aspect of the overall effort. The campaign includes substantive legislative and regulatory work, as well as direct engagement with publishers to make sure that we're doing that relationship building that needs to get done and that we're making sure those lines of communication are, are open. I know that you also delivered the petitions of which we have, as you said, more than 200,000 at this point. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what did you do and where did you go? Two days before the embargo took place, we brought all of the signatures to New York. We printed them out and put them all into four bankers' boxes to hand deliver them to CEO John Sargent and the McMillan team. The goal of the petition delivery was to truly get another opportunity to have direct engagement with John Sargent and to make sure that McMillan had a sense of volume of the advocates who are behind this call for them to roll back the embargo. 
I was responsible for bringing the signatures on the train from D.C. to New York. We wanted advocates to know that their signature wasn't something that they did digitally, that it was truly a real-life action that had weight and presence. For us, having those boxes of signatures was the way to get a meeting with John Sargent. We, we requested one, and they very graciously accepted. We were able to hand those signatures directly to the team, Sari Feldman and Barb Sikis of PLA, had about an hour with him to really give a sense of the feedback and sort of the zeitgeist that we had created online. It was obvious to ALA that that hadn't gone unnoticed at Macmillan, which was really encouraging from a communications perspective. Sometimes when you're building this movement online, it's, it's hard to know, uh, can they hear us? And they certainly had. So the petition delivery was a, a, a moment to really to claim the milestone that we were, you know, at a, over a hundred, well over a hundred thousand folks who are a part of the campaign. And since then, we've almost added another hundred thousand to that, that list. So the conversation continues to happen. What can people be doing now that is a continuation or even something new as we look to the future? The embargo took place and we really need to continue to shine a bright spotlight on what's happening in the digital market consistent engagement there is essential. ALA is asking libraries to share their experiences in purchasing and to share their users' experiences on the wait list. Um, we're continuing to collect signatures, of course, to make sure that we're adding folks who want to stay engaged on the campaign to the list. And we're asking folks to also screenshot their wait list to share them on that ebooks for all hashtag. Um, shout out to the Kennett Library in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, who just yesterday posted an awesome screenshot of a patron's wait list, one of someone who is 302nd in line with a six-month wait on a newly released title. We would love to see more screenshots like these so we can truly illuminate the impact and make it personal and really add some data to the story collection that we're doing. And we want to make sure that we're making those stories public and that we're actually, most of all, are being lifted up and illuminated for all to see. One of the things that's always struck me about this conversation is the idea that there's no friction. As a big ebook reader from public libraries, I know that's not the case because I have my own personal wait list. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Coming up after this will likely be airing um, will be the ALA midwinter and another webinar on this topic. What should people be looking for there? On Tuesday, December 17th, we're having an ebook for all campaign update. It's going to be delivered by webinar at 1 to 2 p.m. Central. Uh, the goal of the webinar is really to make sure that folks have the current state of affairs of eBooks for All and that they um, have a chance to talk a bit about our regulatory and um, ongoing conversation with Congress that we can really make sure we give a lot of airtime for that and that we're um, engaging the public and key stakeholders in their own activities around their opposition to the embargo and what they've been doing to make sure that their story has been told and communicated to their community and their patrons. Um, we'll be joined by Wanda Brown, ALA president, and Ramiro Salazar, PLA president, as well as Larry Clark, and several others who have been key to the campaign. Another really, I think, 
key part of the December 17th webinar is going to include a discussion on, on meaningful questions we can ask that will help us to collect data about how libraries across the country are providing value to the ebooks market. We want to make sure that we're asking the right questions so that we can really get the right answers that help to illustrate and really make sense of the complexity across the market. And I think December 17th will be a really great opportunity for us to make sure that our communication strategy around how we're collecting that data and framing it is, is well established and that everyone has a chance to articulate what brings meaning to them and how we can create meanings and trends across the country. That information is online. If you search the hashtag ebooks for all on Twitter or through ALA.org, it'll pop up and then the recording afterwards will be made available. And I think there will also be a program or two at the ALA Midwinter meeting. Midwinter will usher in a series of really interesting conversations. We're having a, a full session dedicated to the conversation, and also Macmillan will be there to engage with ALA members directly. So we're looking forward to several really interesting moments to make sure that libraries are being heard, that the volume of opposition is well documented, and that we have a, a sense of momentum in terms of where we're headed next. Is there anything you want to go back to or any question I didn't ask that occurs to you as it did to me midstream that we should touch on? The only other thing maybe I would add is that the campaign has been phased. I mean, we had our listening phase and our direct engagement with publishers phase, the phase of activating library workers and the phase of activating the media and through the media, the public, and that all those phases are happening concurrently from a communications perspective. So it's been this multi-layered campaign to make sure that each level of engagement builds on the last. And of course, the, the work with Congress and exploring legislative and regulatory solutions has been the phase we've most recently entered. So it'll be really great to start to use December 17th and the next several weeks to expand on those conversations and make sure that we're making sure this concert campaign is moving forward effectively. Excellent. We covered a lot of ground. Thanks to our guests, Lara Clark, Deputy Director for ALA's Office for Public Policy and Advocacy and the Public Library Association, and Emily Wagner, Deputy Director of Advocacy Communications in the ALA's Public Policy and Advocacy Office. You can get more information about ALA's efforts at ebooksforall.org.